At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, as we begin this ministry year here at Wildwood, we have been reminding each other of our mission and purpose as a church. We began last week and we talked about how at Wildwood we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. And as we do so, we understand that we have a number of opportunities as a church of special emphasis where we can invite others to follow Jesus together with us. Last Sunday, we saw one of those special emphases, and that is that we are for the next generation. Today, we're going to be continuing with another opportunity that we have, and that is not just that we are for the next generation, but also that we are for the church. We are for the church. We are for... You, men and women, following Jesus together to the glory of God. Now, as we begin to talk about being for the church, it's helpful for us to ask the question, what is a church? I mean, it was Jesus himself who said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Apostle Paul traveled all over the Roman Empire, establishing and planting churches in various cities. And even as you go about Norman, on most street corners, you find buildings with church on the side. And so, a question that we ought to ask is, what is a church? And really, what is a church from a biblical perspective? Well, when we think about defining church and we look to the scripture, we realize that the Greek word that lies behind the word church is the word ekklesia. Now, for most of in the room, you don't speak Greek, and so I've not helped you at all by telling you that. But I put that there because I, I want to focus us on the biblical word for church and provide its definition. When we look at the word ecclesia that lies behind the word church, a definition is a congregation of people called out for a particular purpose. It is a, a group of people, not just an organization, not a building, but it is a congregation, a group of people who are gathered together for a particular purpose. And when Jesus says that he is building his church, what he is saying is a congregation of people, a group of people will come together around him. And as we gather around him, we will live in obedience to him. We will live honoring him. We will live in dependence upon him. And we will be in mission and on mission with him in this world. Jesus has established a congregation of people called out for a particular purpose. This is what a church is all about. And when we think of this definition of church, it has a couple of different aspects to it. One aspect of the church is the vertical aspect, the vertical component. And that vertical component is how we connect and relate to God himself. That we gather together around Jesus, our Lord, God, and Savior. And so the church is an expression of our relationship with him. But a second component of the church is the horizontal component. And that is that we gather around Jesus, but we do so together as the body of Christ. Now, many people will try to define the church and emphasize one over the other. 
Some will seek to make church just about the vertical. It's just about my own personal information, my own personal knowledge of God, my own personal times of worship. Others will seek to define church more horizontally. It's just about having a collection of friends, a cure for our loneliness, a place to fit in. But an accurate understanding of the church correctly finds the junction, the cross between those two. Vertically worshiping God, horizontally connected to one another. Now, in order to better understand this, I want us to look today at a very famous passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 12, the first five verses. We're going to find out a little bit more about what it looks like to be a church that is both vertical and horizontal by looking at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 5. If you've got a Bible, take it out and turn there. I want to read these verses, and then after I read them, we'll back up and I'll make a couple observations today before we celebrate the Lord's table together. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another." Now, in these five verses, I want us to see two things today. One, about the vertical relationship we have with God. The second, about the horizontal connection we have with one another and how both are critical and important inside of the church. Let's begin by talking about the vertical. What we see in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 is that the church submits vertically. The church submits vertically. Vertically. Now, we see this quite clearly in verses 1 and 2. In verse 1, the Apostle Paul writes to the Romans, and he, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Now, we might expand that, appropriately so, to say that he is talking to brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul here is admonishing, he is encouraging all believers in Jesus Christ who lived in Rome, and by extension, he is admonishing and encouraging all believers who are present with us today. He writes to those who are connected to God through Jesus' death on our behalf on the cross, and he wants to remind us of what? He reminds us of the mercies of God. Now, what about the mercy of God does Paul have in mind? Well, we're at a disadvantage today because we have just parachuted in to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And because we have done that, we have skipped over 11 chapters that have detailed the mercy and the grace of God that is extended towards us. So, for the sake of time, let me just quickly summarize to you some of the evidence of the mercy of God that is extended to believers in Jesus Christ. One of those things is that we are justified. We are declared righteous by God if we have placed our faith and trust in Christ. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 tells us that. 
Romans chapter 6 verse 18 tells us that we have been emancipated from sin's necessary rule in our lives. Before coming to Christ, we had no choice but to wander in disobedience. After coming to Christ, the Spirit comes to reside within our lives and suddenly we have been liberated from sin's necessary rules. We have a new opportunity before God to follow him. By the mercy of God, we have also been promised eternal life. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. We're often familiar with the first part of Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. But how does the verse continue? But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. By the mercy of God, we who are sinners have been emancipated from sin's power, have been declared righteous by God, and have been promised eternal life. Amen? But it keeps going. Not only that, but we have been delivered from condemnation. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. If anyone is in Christ, they are not under the condemnation of God. They have been de- declared in and a part of God's family. We've been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. The very Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead comes to indwell the hearts and lives of believers, not because we have earned it, but because God is merciful. By His mercy, He indwells us with His Spirit. By His mercy, He has adopted us as His children. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17 tells us. We're part of His family never to be separated again. Because of the mercy of God, we also have an assurance of both sanctification, though progressive it may be, as well as glorification. Romans chapter 8, verses 29 to 30 says, all who have been justified will ultimately be glorified. No one is lost in that translation. There is assurance of salvation, men and women. If we are in Christ, by his mercy, these things have been promised to us. The kindness of God, as Paul summarizes in chapter 9, have been extended to those in Christ. So Paul writes to believers in Jesus. He he writes to you and I, and he wants to remind us of God's mercy and grace to us, to move us and to motivate us towards a particular response. So what is that response? Well, he tells us in the next phrase, In light of the mercy of God, brothers and sisters, may we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. What is the appropriate response to the mercy of God? It is for us to present our bodies to the Lord. Why why does he say our body? Well, that's that's a summary statement for all that we are, all of the areas, all of the facets of us. The appropriate response in light of God's mercy is for us to respond by coming to him and by laying our lives before him and saying, Lord, your way and not mine. This is what God has has called us to do. And he's called us to do so as a living sacrifice. Now, that is an important phrase. It's an important phrase. Because if you place a dead sacrifice on a table, where will that dead sacrifice be in an hour? On the table, right? It's dead. It cannot go anywhere. But Paul here writes to us as living, breathing human beings created in the image of God. 
And he says that we are to present our bodies, our whole selves, before the Lord as a living sacrifice. This is an acknowledgement that we are tempted to get up and do what? To wander off, to walk away, to disobey. But we are called to regularly, to routinely, to make it our habit, to make it our pattern, to present our lives before the Lord, to say, Lord, your way and not mine in every area of my life. Now, F.F. Bruce talks about this. He says, the sacrifices of the new order do not consist in the taking the lives of others like the ancient animal sacrifices but in giving one's own. Jesus inaugurated a new covenant, a better covenant, no longer marked with the animal sacrifices of the book of Leviticus and Exodus. But instead, our response is to take our own lives and lay them down willingly before the Lord, saying we are willing to follow him anywhere. And friends, this is summarized as being our spiritual worship. Now, this word spiritual also could be translated rational or reasonable. The idea is this. The rational, reasonable, spiritual thing to do in light of God's mercy to us is for us to come together around him and to lay down our lives before him. In light of what Jesus has done in our past, Jesus came down to this earth, revealed God in human form, that People who lived in that era saw him with their own eyes. They recorded what they saw in Scripture. It was preserved so that you and I might see it, so that we might have an understanding of who God is. He did that in our past. And then he went to the cross and died, not for his own sin because he had none, but he died for our sin, taking the penalty that our sin deserved. In light of the fact that there was one who was willing to die for us, the rational, reasonable, spiritual thing to do is for us to come to him, to lay down our lives before him and say, I will follow you anywhere. Not only that, but how about our present? In light of what Jesus has done for us in the present, he ascended to heaven. John's gospel says as he ascends, he sends the spirit to indwell our hearts. What we saw in Romans chapter 8, verse 9, earlier in that list of God's mercy, the spirit has been sent to indwell the hearts and lives of believers. And Jesus says in John's gospel that the spirit comes to guide us into all truth. Jesus, the one who knows life because he is the author and the perfecter of it invites us to live the life that he created for us to live. In light of the fact, friends, of who Jesus is, how he loves us, and how he has provided for us this kind of direction, the reasonable, rational, spiritual response is for us to lay down our lives before him. And in light of the future, do you realize that one day we will all see Jesus face to face? We all will look into his face one day, When we leave this life and and head to the next, if we have rejected Christ in this life, when we see him in the next, it will lead to judgment. We will see him one day, the one we have rejected, we will be accountable to. And even for those of us who are believers who have trusted in Christ, if we have not stayed on the altar, but if we have wandered off in our own way, one day we will give an account for our lives as well. Not unto salvation, but we would give account for our lives unto accountability before the Lord. 
in light of the fact that we will see him again one day, the reasonable, rational, spiritual thing to do is for us to lay down our lives before him. Now, as we lay down our lives before him, God transforms us. We see this in the second verse. At the beginning of chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world. The, the world, the age, the, the era in which we live is like a gigantic jello mold. That's not from the Greek, that's just from me. It, it's just like a giant jello mold, it's a, it's a big concrete mold. The world wants to take our lives, our thoughts, and wants to pour us into it and shape us according to its standards. The world wants to redefine for us what is right and what is wrong, what the good life really is all about. That's what the world wants to do. And and left to our own devices, the world around us will shape us into its own thoughts and ways. But when we come out to Christ... When we are a part of his congregation, his church, when he is the vertical pole, guess what happens? Instead of us being conformed to the world, we can be transformed by the renewal of our minds. God does this by by demonstrating his will for us through the scripture and through the spirit that he has given to guide us into scripture so that we are not confused, so that we might understand where truth lies. So that our minds might be transformed into the image of the author and the perfecter of life and not left to our own devices. Now, what does all of this have to do with the church? And I began, we're saying this is a message about being for the church, and we, we've talked about this vertical tent pole of Christ, and we gather around him and we relate to him. So, so how does this connect for us? So a, a couple of things I want to share to, to help draw some connection in this vertical component for each of us. The first is this. It's a reminder that we are a graced people. I realize that's probably bad English, and somewhere my mom, who was an English teacher, is rolling her eyes, but we are a graced people. That's what we are. We are a people who God has extended mercy to. That is what defines us. It's God and his mercy. And for all of us who are here today who have placed our faith and trust in Christ, we need to remember and reflect on the mercy of God. And have it be a motivator for us to follow him in obedience. But I know that there are others here today who probably have never placed your faith and trust in Christ. You're here today as a guest of a friend or you're just checking this out or it's your first weekend in a new town and you're just trying to to get the horizontal part of life figured out. I understand there's a lot of reasons why we would be here. But know that when we talk about being a church, we're talking about people who are gathered around the vertical We are gathered around the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the blessings and the mercy that we talked about earlier are all available for you on the other side of coming to him and placing your faith and trust in him. Have you trusted in Christ? We are a graced people. Second thing, we are also a transformed people. We're also a transformed people. 
We're not just a a group of people that that are static and unchanging, but we're a group of people that God is transforming through the renewal of our mind according to his truth. We're a group of people who are, are gathered together and who are laying our lives regularly before God, imperfect as that may be, and saying, God, not my will, but yours. Not my way, but I want to follow you in obedience. My question is, are you presenting your whole life to Christ and allowing his word to guide you and to transform you in all the areas of your life? Not just the ones that we see on Sunday morning. Are you following Christ? Are you laying your life before him? Friends, this is the vertical component. It's a life that receives the mercy of God, that submits our lives to him, and that allows him to transform the way we think and ultimately the way that we live. Friends, this is the vertical component of the church. The church submits vertically. But there's a second aspect of the church. It's not just that we submit vertically, but also the church serves horizontally. The church serves horizontally. And this is where Paul goes in verse 3. In verse 3, he makes this statement. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, what does it mean to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think? You know, when I, when I put that up there, and immediately we begin to associate that with just a prideful attitude, just kind of a generic thought. But the reality is, all of us have a temptation to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, and it shows up in a number of different ways. What are some of the ways that this shows up? Well, it shows up when we steal. It shows up when we steal. When we steal, whether that is time, whether that is, is money, whether that is, is supplies from the office, when we steal, ultimately what is happening is we are saying that this is better in my pocket than in yours. We, we, are, we are sinning against not only God, but also against those around us on the horizontal level by saying what you have should be mine, and so I'm going to take it. Second aspect we might think of is when we lie. When we lie, you know what we do? You know what we're doing? When we lie, what we're doing is we're saying this. Your perception of me matters more than my love and care for you in the truth. Your perception of me matters more. So I'm going to spin it. I'm going to lie. I'm going to deceive because your perception of me matters the most because I want to be thought highly of. So I'm going to, I'm going to spin it. I'm going to twist it. I'm going to turn it. So we lie. We wound the horizontal relationships in our life when we lie this way. Because we're thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. This also happens when really any kind of sin. How do affairs happen in marriages? Well, it's ultimately a... The spouse says, what I want is more important than any of the pain this is going to cause the people that I love the most, that I say that I love the most. See, friends, these patterns show up when we begin to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But sometimes we even take these attitudes to church with us, don't we? 
Sometimes we even take them to church. Sometimes we, we, begin, we walk into a church and we think that the church exists for our preferences, right? From, from the music to the temperature to the, the lighting or the lack of lighting to the message the pastor preaches to how interesting it is to, to where I get to sit, to where I get to park, to all of the, the time that it means. We begin to think that church is just a collection of preferences, that we have opinions about all of those. But if we come to church and we leave thinking about all of our preferences, we have placed ourselves at the center of the universe. Let everyone among you not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Or sometimes it happens at church where we show up and we think, you know what, everybody here is here to serve me instead of I'm here to serve them. Friends, everyone among you ought not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But instead, with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. We we are to instead allow God's truth that is transforming our minds to give us an accurate assessment of us. Well, what is that assessment? Well, that assessment is, first of all, that we're sinful, that that we're imperfect, that, that our preferences are messed up from time to time. That our desires are, 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 are wrong from time to time. But even though we are sinful, also we are forgiven. And not only are we forgiven in Christ, but we have been equipped by the Spirit in order to minister and be a blessing to others. And so when we think of gathering together, we are to, to come together and not thinking more highly of ourselves, but instead with sober judgment, understanding who we are and the fact that God has a plan for us here. Verses 4 and 5 continue. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. You know, Jesus could have designed his church any way he wanted to. You realize that, right? He's, He's Jesus. He could have done it any way. He could have designed each of us to where all of us had all of the insight, all of the gifts, everything. So that we were autonomous folks. That's not the way he designed us. Jesus could have designed the church to where there were a handful of gifted people and they were to have microphones and stages, but everybody else was not gifted and they had to be near the microphones and the stages. He could have done it that way. But friends, that is not the way Jesus designed the church. The way that Jesus designed the church is he made us like a body. A body that has many different parts where every one of them is necessary. That's the way that he has designed it. That means that each person here is important to what God is going to do among us as a church family. That a church without you is a church without a right hand. A church without you is a church without a left foot. A church without you is a church without a voice to sing or ears to listen or eyes to see. This is how Jesus designed the church. It's an interconnected body. William Newell said this, he says, Your right hand has never yet had a fight with the left. On the contrary, each constantly helps the other. This is the way the church was designed. We were designed differently, fit together sovereignly in order to work together for the purpose that God has for us. Now, what does this have to do with the church? Well, 
on this horizontal plane, I just want to point out two observations and connect them to our lives. If this is true, that we're, we're a, 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 a body together, then this is true. Your attendance is necessary for you. Your attendance in the church is necessary for you. Now, I say that not to be self-serving. I say that just to try to accurately convey to you what I see in Romans 12. You see, if, if God wants to work through the body to accomplish all of what God has, then you being off by yourself would be like, you know, a, a detached hand off by itself. Wouldn't be all that useful, except on the Adams family. It's just not all that helpful. It's important for us to be connected together in order for us to receive the grace and the mercy of God that he has intended. He has scattered the gifts so that you might be blessed as you're around, not just one person on a screen, not just a podcast you listen to when you jog, but when you're around the body of Christ. Are you making it a priority to fellowship with the church this year? You're like, yes, we're here, I know, but we're a living sacrifice, right? Make it a commitment to stay among the people of God because this is the way God designed it. This is the way God designed us. Second thing, your service is necessary for others. Your attendance is necessary for you and your spiritual growth, but your service is necessary for others. God has equipped you in order to be able to encourage others. So how are you serving others at the church? That can be through formal ways. You're serving in children's ministry or student ministry or, or college ministry. It could be Sunday morning. It could be through the week. It could be an adult small group that you're leading. It could be in a number of formal ways that we have at Wildwood. But also it could be informally, just as you gather on Sundays that you are taking notice of those around you to encourage them, to welcome them, to, to pray for a need as you see it, to, to meet a need as they come up. Formally and informally, your service is necessary for others. We've seen the vertical plane. Just a reminder now about the horizontal plane. On the horizontal plane, we have been blessed by God that we might also be a blessing to others. Friends, the church serves horizontally. But when I think about the church being an expression of gathering around Jesus and the, and the vertical submitting to him and, and horizontally serving others in the body of Christ, it reminds me a lot of what Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. When someone comes up and asks him what the greatest commandment is, what did Jesus say? He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. On the vertical, Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And on the horizontal level, Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, we are part of the church, a congregation gathered around Christ to submit to the Lord, and to serve one another. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to, to open your word and to study it today. I pray that we would be a people not who just hear this, but a people who, who live into it. 
people who respond, repent of our sin, come around the person of Christ, lay down our lives before you, and love and serve others. Lord, may, may we never forget these things. May we stay upon that altar. In Jesus' name, amen.